Thank you, Brother Terry. <clears throat> thank our choir and thank all of you, our praise team, for taking part in worship this morning. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Jude. We want to look at the book of Jude, only one chapter, Jude verses 1 through 4, and then we want to look at Psalms, Psalms 11, verse 3. But uh, first we'll look at Jude 1 through 4, then Psalm 11, verse 3, as I share a message with you this morning, when the foundations are destroyed, when the foundations are destroyed. We had a lightning storm in here, well, in the community yesterday, and, and so it threw a breaker or something on one of our projectors, and so we'll, hopefully we'll have that fixed for you next week. But we still have one up, and that's, thank the Lord for that. Jude 1 through 4. God's word says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, preserved in, Christ, in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into deludeness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. If you would turn to Psalm 11, keep your finger there on Jude. We're going to use that as our main text. Psalm 11, verse 3. Psalm 11, verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity we have now to worship you in song and praise songs and hymns. And, and Father, an opportunity to have intercessory prayer for those who uh, are needing our prayers and your help in their lives in so many different ways. And so, Father, we thank you that we come now to the opening of your word. Help us to realize that your word is truth. Help us to realize that this is not just words on printed paper, but this is your message to mankind. And so, Father, help us, we pray, to, to be led by the Spirit this morning as he is our teacher and our guide, and help us to understand your word. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say the man. But, Father, help me be true to your word and sharing it with your people. Forgive me of my sins, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When the foundations are destroyed, Jude 1 through 4. 300 years ago, King David asked a probing question found there in Psalm 11, verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, 
what shall the righteous do? I need to remind you that David was not speaking about the foundations as a physical building would have foundations. He's not, he's not speaking of concrete and mortar and blocks that support a physical building. You know, in April the 27th, 2011, our building was shaken. A tornado came through, and not only did it take away our building, so to speak, but it also shook foundations in our neighborhood and around our city. I have some neighbors' homes whose foundation was shaken to the point that their, their, side, their outside walls cracked foundations shaken but I praise God that our foundation our spiritual foundations of doctrine and belief and faith and practice are just as strong and grounded in the word of God than they've ever been we have a strong spiritual foundation we live in a world where our ethical and moral and ecclesiastical foundations are crumbling right before our eyes. Turn on the news each evening and you'll see where another institution is in trouble or falling or having some type of problem. Some denominations, some colleges, universities, seminaries, even churches that once were alive and vibrant are now dying and perhaps dead because their foundation, their spiritual foundation, has been shaken. In the past, Satan sought to destroy us from without, but the blood of the martyrs became the seed for the church to grow, and the church began to grow and grow and grow. However, today, in these last days, Satan's strategy is to destroy the church, not from without, but to destroy the church from within. Therefore, the book of Jude was written to warn the church that certain men have crept in unaware for the purpose of destroying the church. And so Jude is saying you cannot leave them to themselves because they'll destroy the foundations of your faith. Now, the word faith there is not belief, as we would think faith or trust would mean, but the word faith here means the word of God. Be careful, there are some in the church, he says, that have slipped in that will destroy your faith, will destroy the teachings of the word of God. So Jude is saying you cannot leave them to themselves because they'll destroy the foundations of the word of God. Now, how do they do that? Well, they do that by false doctrine. And we see that happening all the time. And in his first letter, Paul's first letter to Timothy, Paul joins Jude in reminding us, in latter times, some will depart from the faith, the word of God. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. And so we're seeing that in our day, where churches are departing from the faith, from the word of God, from doctrine, sound doctrine, doctrine that have been, has been brought up through all the ages. So remember, the Bible encourages us to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend for the faith that was delivered once and for all. There's no new word 
going to be given to us except what we already have in the Word of God, the Bible. So contend for the faith, contend, fight for the Word of God that was delivered to the saints from the very beginning. And so the question is, if, if imposters have crept into the church, how do we recognize them? How do we recognize them? So the question is, you know, how do we recognize imposters when they come into the church? Now, not only our church, but churches, evangelical churches all over. How do you recognize an imposter, an apostate, whose, whose main purpose is to change the Word of God, change doctrine? Uh, years ago, I, I remember receiving, when I was in retail, a counterfeit bill. Have you ever held a counterfeit bill? I mean, the one you may have from <laughs> Some you may have right now may be counterfeit. I hope not. But it takes a trained eye to, to detect false currency. And in retail, the company I worked for, we had to go through training and how to, to detect a, a false bill, false currency. Can you imagine all the chaos and the devastation that would happen to our economy if the counterfeit bills went undiscovered, undetected? The point is, did you know that counterfeit Christians are just as devastating to the church as a counterfeit bill would be to our economy? So how can we tell a, a real believer from an apostate, from an imposter? How do we know a genuine believer? So if you're taking notes, there's an outline there. A genuine believer is called by God. Point number one, a genuine believer is called by God. The word called, and if you'll notice there in verse one, he says, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus. So how do we know a, a true believer? They're called by God. The word called there means an official summons. The genuine believer has been summoned by God. Talked with a person this week and and uh, she was coming out of Walmart, and I spoke to her, and I said, how are you? She said, well, I'm late. I've got to get back before they start again. And I said, well, what's the deal? She said, I was summoned for jury duty. Summoned, called. And so God calls us to salvation. And so a genuine believer is one that's been called by God. The point, salvation begins with God. God calls us to salvation. 1 Peter 2, 9, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I remember the day God called me. If you're a believer, you remember the day God called you. I mean, I just didn't join the church, but I was called by God to salvation. I remember that day. I've heard the outward call for a number of years. Some of you have heard the outward call for a number of years. But when I was 11 years old, something happened. I heard an inward call. I heard God speaking to my heart saying, hey, you need to give me your life. You need to be saved. I heard that inward call. And so I repented. I asked God to forgive me of my sins. I believed the gospel that Christ came and that he died on the cross for my sins. He was buried. He arose again. I believed that with all of my heart. 
and I came out of the spiritual death into spiritual life because I was obedient to the inward call of God. Now, some of you today will take this as an outward call. But to be honest with yourself, if you've never trusted Christ, it's really an inward call. It feels like that little knock on your heart, or it feels that uncomfortable feeling because God is speaking to you in that way. So a genuine believer is different from an imposter, first because a genuine believer is called by God. Secondly, a genuine believer is beloved by God. Now, we're all called by God. God calls everyone to salvation. I was reading, a thing, I was reading something this morning, and this person was asked, do you believe in divine election?" And the person responded, that I never had heard this. He said, yes. He said, he said, God voted on me. The devil voted against me. And the way I vote is the way the election goes. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> so God calls you. How are you going to respond? Well, the devil's voting no. God's voting Yes. And how you make your decision this morning determines this morning how the election's going to go, where you're going to be lost or where you're going to be saved. So a genuine believer is called by God, but they're beloved by God, so we're all called and we're set apart for God. He's called us. He's brought us out of the world. He's washed us in his blood. He sets us apart. He sanctifies us, sets us apart for himself. So the point is love, love has a way of setting one's beloved apart. God loves us and sets us apart for himself. January the 1st, 1971, I married Judy Williford because I loved her. Now, I set her apart from all others for my very own. That's what God does for us when we come to him. He sets us apart for his very own. We become his beloved. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he loves everyone, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But a genuine believer, or his genuine believers are his beloved. They've been set apart for him. So as a Christian, you can't do anything too bad or too good to get God to love you more or to love you less. He's already called you. He set you apart for his divine purpose. So he, he does not love you because you're valuable. I mean, he does not just love you because you're valuable. He, he doesn't love you because you're worthy. You're valuable and you're worthy because he loves you. If that makes any sense. That's why he loves you. It's not you're worth anything. <laughs> Our righteousness serves filthy rags. But he loves us not because we're valuable, not because we're worthy, but he loves us. He loves us. We're valuable. We're worthy. That's why he loves us. And so the genuine believer is different from the imposter, that apostate, that imposter, because he's called of God, he's beloved of God. And then jot this down. He's preserved in Jesus Christ and kept by the Father. Think of that. Preserved in Jesus Christ, 
kept by the Father, um, preserved. The Greek word torio, T-E-R-R-E-O, the little dash above the O, torio. To, to be preserved means to be watched over. It means to be guarded over. And so in the original text, the word is imperfect tense, meaning complete action with a continuing result. Better translated, continually kept. The believer is continually kept. He is preserved in Jesus Christ and kept continually by the Father. The point is when a believer stumbles, uh, he has the assurance that God will keep him from falling. When we stumble as a Christian, we have the assurance that God will keep us from falling. He continually keeps us, watches over us, protects us, keeps us from falling. You know, there's a difference between stumbling and falling. I hear people say, you know, well, I've stumbled this week. I've sinned. I've stumbled. There's a difference between stumbling and falling. When, when our children were learning to walk, you know, they'd hold, on, they'd hold on to your finger, and all of a sudden, they'd stump a toe or they'd turn an ankle, and they'd fall. They'd, they'd come loose. They'd be holding on to your fingers. And then I realized that if I took them by the hand when they stumbled, I could keep them from falling. Well, our, our salvation is not us holding on to God's hand, but it's God holding on to us. It's not us holding on to God's hand to the bitter end, but it's God holding on to us to the bitter end. He preserves us. So God reaches down. He grabs hold of our hand to keep us from falling. And that's why Jude sums it up in verse 24. Look at verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceedingly joy. And so God, God, uh, for the believer, we're preserved by God. We're always preserved by God. And Jude sums it up there in verse 24. So the point, the apostate is not a believer who walks away from salvation. An apostate, an imposter, is not one who just simply walks away from salvation, falls away from salvation, that's impossible according to the Scripture because God gives us eternal life or everlasting life. You can't, you can't even bring a point or a fact that we can lose our salvation and at the same time use eternal life and everlasting life. What's eternal life? What's eternal? What's everlasting life? It's life everlasting. And so God protects us and carries us from the beginning to the end. So the apostate is one who professes Christ as their Savior and Lord, but does not possess Christ as their Savior and Lord. So an apostate turns from the faith, turns from the faith. And, you know, uh, it's, it's not like... Um, it's not like uh, God's sheep turning, but it's kind of like pigs. It's kind of like pigs and dogs. Look, look, if you will, at Second Peter. Notice this: Second Peter. What happens? An apostate who turns from the faith is not like God's sheep, but they're like pigs and dogs. Second Peter two twenty one. For it would have been better for them 
not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. And so you can clean up a pig on the outside, but that doesn't change the nature of the pig. It goes back being a pig. And so that's the same way it is with a person who does not possess salvation. They may stay clean for a little while, but eventually they turn back to their true nature. So how do we know a genuine believer? By who he is, called by the Spirit, beloved by God, preserved in Jesus Christ. But what does he have? What does that true believer have? Look, if you will, in verse 2. He has mercy, peace, love. He says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, these are byproducts. Mercy, peace, and love are byproducts of salvation, sanctification. They need to be multiplied during the days of the imposter. During the last days, you need to have more mercy and more love, more peace and more love. Why is that? Because there are weapons that help us against the imposters. Mercy, peace, and love. Now, remember, God in his mercy... He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us mercy, and he continues to forgive us of our sins. Think of mercy as forgiveness of your sins. He gives us mercy. He gives us forgiveness of sins. And secondly, as a believer, we have not only mercy, but we have peace. Peace comes when God's mercy is received. If you're an enemy of God, if you haven't trusted Christ, then you don't have peace in your life. You don't have that inward peace, that inner peace. But as soon as you receive Christ, not only do you have mercy, the forgiveness of your sins, but you have peace. You just have this inward peace. And so peace comes when mercy is received. And the only way to have inner peace is to have peace with God. So the point is God's mercy, the forgiveness of sin, gives us that inner peace. So how do we know a believer? Well, a believer has mercy. He has forgiveness of his sins. Feels comfortable. God's forgiven me of my sins. And then he has this peace, this peace with God, this inner peace. He's not worried about dying. He's not worried about not going to heaven. Just has a peace, that inward peace. But then also a believer has love, has love. God gives mercy, which brings peace, which is demonstrated by love. And that love is agape love. John 13. John 13, if you would. Look at John 13, verse 34 and 35. says this, A new commandment that I've given unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. And so God gives us forgiveness, mercy, that mercy brings along peace on the inside, which brings along the love for others on the outside. That's what the believer has. And an apostate, an imposter, is void of that love, that agape love, uh, that self-sacrificing love. They can't express love 
because express love depends on this inward experience of peace, which depends on God's mercy, and they have none of that. Therefore, they can't love like Jesus loves. The apostate, the one who turns from the word of God, is just a pretender. They pretend. They're an imposter. An imposter. Someone has said an imposter, an apostate has received spiritual light, but they haven't received spiritual life. They have the light. They know what it's all about, but they haven't received the spiritual life. They, they claim to be Christians, but they're imposters. So what do believers have? Mercy from God, peace within, and love for others. What does the apostate have? No mercy because he hasn't repented. What does he not have? He doesn't have peace. Doesn't have that peace inside because living a lie. How can you have peace knowing you're living a lie? And then an apostate has no love for others because he's selfish, he's self-seeking, and he's deceitful. And now here's the big question as we close. Are you for real? I mean, are you for real? Are you an imposter and you're apostate? You say, well, brother, Sam, well, let me ask you this. Have you repented of your sins and turned to to Christ for your salvation? Have you repented? Do you have forgiveness there? Have you experienced the mercy of God for your forgiveness? Are you living a lie? Do you have that inner peace? Or as the word is read and as the word is preached and as you attend church, there's an uncomfortable feeling there and you know that really you're just going through the motions. There's no inward peace. There's no forgiveness. There's no inward peace. There's no love for others. It's all about you. It's selfishness. Does that describe you? Well, then you're an imposter. The Bible and other places call it a hypocrite. it a hypocrite or an apostate, someone who's walked away from what they know is true. So what do you do? Here's what you do if you find yourself that way this morning. Number one, you hear the call of God for your life. God's calling you. You need to understand that's God speaking to you. Know his love that he has for you. Come into his beloved where he can set you aside, set you apart for his own purpose in your life then find your assurance in him you'll stumble from time to time but he won't let you fall he'll raise you back up he'll get continue to give you that forgiveness and so as a church it's very important that we contend for the faith that we fight for the truth for the word of God because the imposters hard at work in the church they're hard at work in the education field Harvard Yale just jotted down a few, Brown University, Dartmouth University, Princeton, the Ivy League schools. They've all forgotten that their common bond where they were all founded on the express purpose was the propagation of the gospel, to get the gospel out. All of those universities I mentioned, the founding purpose was to get the gospel out, and they have failed miserably, miserably. They've, they were established for the glory of God, but they left their calling. They're imposters. They've had apostate professors slip into their faculty. You don't think it's happening close to us? I heard a testimony this, this morning or last night about how a person went to one of our Christian schools and, 
in our state, I'll say it that way, in our state, and was so discouraged from what they were taught and what they heard. They even went to the, the professor, even wrote an email to the president of the school because uh, they were saying they were blaspheming God and what they were teaching, and they were. And so if the foundations are destroyed, what do we do? We contend, we fight for the faith, we fight for the word of God. We just don't sit around and, and not do anything, but we, we stand up, we fight. We say, that's not right, that's not what the Bible says. You know, this is not what the Bible teaches, and I have a Christian worldview, and this is opposed to what I believe and what God teaches and what our nation was founded on. So you just don't sit down and lie down, but you fight, you contend for the faith. I pray this morning that you've trusted Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You've heard him, you responded to the call on his life. I believe he calls everyone. He calls for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he's call, he calls everyone. But what are you going to do with that call? The devil's voted, God's voted for you, the devil's voted against you, and you're going to make a decision how that election goes. Now I pray you'll say yes to God today, where you'll have your forgiveness and where you'll have that peace and where you'll have that love. You'll never have Christ-like love without Christ. It's impossible. You'll never live for Christ without Christ. You'll never be, you'll never be what Christ would have you to be without Christ being in you. It is Christ which liveth in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So Christ living in you brings himself out of you. And people see Christ in you because he's living in you. And he's working himself out of you on a daily basis. And I pray that you've been saved. If not, I pray you'll be saved today. And so God's brought you here for a purpose. And I pray for that purpose, that purpose could be that you need to trust him as Lord and Savior of your life. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity we've had just to think about problems that churches are experiencing today with false doctrine, with um, apostates slipping into the church to sow discord. And so, Father, I pray as a church, as an evangelical church, that although our physical building was shaken by tornado. Lord, we've tried to stay true, Lord, to the faith, the Word of God. And I pray for every person here this morning. And God, they are, they're here for a special reason. They got up, they got dressed, they got the kids ready, and they made their way, the trip, to the church house. We've worshipped you, and now you've spoken to our hearts. And now it's so important that we respond. And so those that you're calling to salvation today, I pray they'll respond to your call, your Holy Spirit's call, that little tug on their heart, that uneasy feeling that they have perhaps inside. Maybe they joined a church one time, and that's all they did was just join a church. Maybe they were just baptized. But Lord, we know that, that a relationship is what you require. And Lord, we pray today that a person that's dependent on anything but Jesus Christ for their salvation... I pray today they'll come and say, Lord Jesus, I pray today, Lord, I give you my heart. I don't give it to anything else to be saved. I just give it to you. And Lord, if you don't, if you don't get me to heaven, nothing's going to get me to heaven. And I trust in your, in your death on the cross for my sins. I'm trusting in your 
your burial to that same spirit that raised you up. Father, one day will raise me up, and I'm trusting in that resurrection. And I believe the gospel with all of my heart. And so I'm giving myself to you to be used of you, Lord, to set me apart for your purpose. I'm coming today to do that. And so I'm being real today with myself. Thank you for what you're going to do in this invitation, Lord. As other decisions are made and rededication, recommitment. Lord, time is short before you come back. And so I pray that as, as today you've spoken to our hearts about uh, uh, the brevity of time and, and the, uh, the surety of your return. And so, Father, work in this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here is going to lead us. Well, again, I want to thank you for viewing our worship service. If you'd like to know how you could come to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, please feel free to contact our church at the address listed. We also encourage you to visit our website. Thank you, and may God bless you.